Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred six point five FM Los Angeles. One hundred two point three FM Riverside. And one hundred five zero AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren. My co-host today, he just drops in like a an occasional lover. <laughs> <laughs> once a once a month, he's the F friends with benefit. Um, so we've got Eric Shapiro. How are you doing, Eric? How are you doing? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been a long time. I had my, um, you read about it in my newspaper. I had a colonoscopy. I was like all tied up with health concerns, but everything, everything was okay. So I'm like, I want to be on more frequently. I, I can't believe it's dropped. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Things, things come and go. Not a problem. Yeah. I'm good. I'm always, <laughs> uh, it's always good to have you on. And now, thank you. Yeah. Now today we have, um, uh, kind of a special guest, someone that you brought on. Of course, you, you do that quite often. Um, now, um, our guest is Brittany King, and she's a black activist and journalist, as she calls it. So thank you for being here, Brittany. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, uh, Brittany, um, how did you get into um, what you do now, like your podcast and, and your website and everything else? Where did it all start for you? Well, I had a podcast, actually, when I went to NYU for grad school, um, I pitched an idea to them that I wanted to have a platform where I discussed issues in culture and society, mostly fit, focused on race. And I wanted to come in a heterodox point of view. But at that point, I didn't call it heterodox. I just said, like, the gray area, nuanced area. And so that's how that launched in 2018. And then 2020 is when I relaunched it on YouTube after my piece, Black Free Thought, that's in Tablet Magazine right now. It kind of went viral on Twitter after mm. it was published. And then people were curious about my ideas. And I was actually going to launch my YouTube anyways that month. And then that just kind of built a fan base for it. And it's grown since. So, yeah. Oh, that's t- how tell, tell us about that uh, Tablet article and, like, what the content was and what got people going on Twitter. Well... Well, it's funny that you say black activists. I I would say I consider myself a black activist in a more unconventional sense. Mm-hmm. I am one first I think I'm a critical thought activist, I say, I just play on words. But um I'm an activist for my black community um to amplify the fact that we are not a monolith and I know that's a narrative that's pushed in culture right now that we're not a monolith and we have diverse voices, but I do see that if you do not hold certain mainstream ideas, then you are cast out of what 
we would call black. And so I champion all different black voices, ideas, people, writers, philosophers, etc. And that's what the free black thought piece is about. It's about me kind of evolving as a person, as a writer and a journalist and realizing that I have had blind spots in my life where I have an example in there where I call um, Coleman Hughes a racial epithet after watching him um, debate against reparations against Ta-Nehisi Coates. And at the time, Ta-Nehisi Coates, he was my professor at NYU. And I remember watching that at NYU and thinking that Coleman more so was betraying the black race. But then when I looked back at that reaction and then I was going on my own journey with journalism and studying criticism, I realized that I frankly was just wrong. And long story short, I reached out to Coleman maybe, I don't know, a year later with this piece. He read it and he said he was in awe because He's like, you haven't, like, completely changed what you believe, but you are championing and um, amplifying the fact that I can believe what I want to believe. And so we have our own rapport now. And, yeah, so that's also yeah. what helped my piece go viral. Oh, God. Okay, I can't. Okay, so Coates was your professor, and I remember reading that. And I can't not ask you this, because where I found you was uh, interviewing Africa Brooke. That's the first time I saw your show. Mm. So... And then you guys both said you liked Jordan Peterson. So mm -hmm. Coates, I think it was Coates who, in a comic book, uh, portrayed Peterson as something of a villain. Is that accurate? Like, or there was some mm -hmm. version of him with uh, Ten Rules for Life. Is that, I'm remembering that correctly, right? That is what people have perceived that as, yes. And okay, was... okay. Uh, so I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. Maybe he wasn't villainized. But what, what are you... Uh, oh, no, yeah. I, I, think, <laughs> I think that's what perhaps probably was the case. I mean, no one's, okay. it hasn't been explicitly said by Coates, so I don't want to say it for him because he hasn't said it. Sure. But um, I was actually on Brett Weinstein this, this year, and we laughed about it, but like three weeks before that whole thing went out, I was on Brett Weinstein, and I talked about how I do like Ta-Nehisi Coates, how I do like um, Jordan Peterson, Mm -hmm. And I used those two men to illustrate a point on how I, um, my Rolodex of thinkers, so to speak, and yeah. I um, take in. And then literally this thing happened, and that portion of that conversation, like, has over 500,000 views because I just talked about these two men, and then, yeah, so. Coates' book is Between the World and Me. That's the, that's the one that caught fire about like five years ago because I read it and I thought it was a masterpiece and I also love Peterson so I'm with you and I, don't, I wouldn't even say they're diametrically opposed uh, on many important things I mean of course they're very distinct but so that's mm -hmm. fascinating and one thing I really responded to you uh, to with watching American Shade was um, something I was just related to is that I'm on the left uh, and I've been alienated by a lot of what's going on on the left but I haven't uh, I haven't veered to the right you know it's just like what you were saying Coleman said about you, it's like you haven't betrayed your own values. You're able to integrate. You know, you're still on the same sort of path, but there's just been a, a shift in, um, in how you're accentuating your, your landmark uh, thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was – well, it's like twofold. I, I'm on a different path, but the path okay. isn't like, okay, now I'm going completely on the other side. It's, a, it's right. my own – path I'm making, I guess, and maybe not, it's not my own, like, it's the only journey since been on, but I am, um, and I definitely understand what you're talking about the left, and I do talk about it in that interview. Mm -hmm. One, I do find that people that, they say they walk away from the left, I know that's very popular, and then they go, and they're very conservative, or yeah. Republican, and then they just act so dumbfounded about the left, and the ideologies, and why people are so passionate, and I was like, I was definitely one of those people that, I wouldn't say extreme, extreme, but, you know, I did Black Lives Matter, and I did a lot of things, and I did protests, and I understand that energy, and I still understand that energy, and it would be, you know, I would be remiss not to bring in that um, into consideration when I do talk about things that are heterodox and unorthodox or conservative or liberal. Like, I, I don't just push those people out. I just find that 
really odd when people do that because it's like you're acting as if you don't understand you weren't those people. And I find that there's, even if I think what they believe um, on an extreme level is off, I'm still going to understand, okay, I totally get why you think that, but let's have a conversation on why I think it's off. Right, right. And are you, in this instance, I, I, I missed a step. Are you talking about people that are more extreme on the left or more extreme on the right? Oh, like people walking away? Yeah, well, I'm saying, like, which group are you still open to talking to when you, when you oh, say, anyone. I know it's both. Yeah, I know it's anyone. But in this instance, is it more like you're saying um, just, you know, because you, you were of the left, you're part of Black Lives Matter, you understand the energy. So is there the oh, sentiment yeah. of, no, like... I was saying that people that say they walk away from the left and go right. to the extreme are like, and I'll never talk to people on the left, like, they're crazy. Got it. Yeah, so yeah. Like, and I can understand that. There. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I want to, on that note, I want to ask you how you feel about uh, radicalization, like, especially in your own experience around this. Like, was it the sort of experience where you were turned off by the left to such a degree where you felt, like, like alienated, radicalized, like, or it was more like, no, it was just like peaking your curiosity and your hunger for dialogue. Um, I think it was, I'm always curious. I've been curious since I was a child, but like, and that's why I did journalism. I love to write. So I'm curious and I always second guess things in a way I'm like, Hmm, this seems off. And I might, and I might okay. leave it on the table, but I might explore it. But I will say it was at the tail end of, when I was doing Black Lives Matter in Columbus, Indiana, and this was 2018, so this was when, like, white fragility was popular, Robert D'Angelo, and everything was being radicalized. And I realized, like, some of the progress we were making was getting tarnished by these extreme narratives and notions of, and things that I would actually express online, but deep down, I'm like, this actually doesn't really align with, like, my morals and how I really agree. For example, like, um, and I said this, I think with Africa Brooke, I said um, one thing that I would say that I was like, ah, I think this is kind of off. I would be like, you know, white people, white silence is violence. But then when white people would come into spaces where we would have conversations about race relations, racial reconciliation, et cetera, then it was like this commands for them to be quiet. And then I was like, isn't this like, one contradiction, like, be loud at the protest when we really need to talk and converse about things that can help on a fundamental level. Like, don't say anything. And I figure, and I was just thinking, like, this actually backfires on us, on everyone. Oh, tremendously, yeah. I think it's, uh, on, frankly, and I, I want your opinion on this, like, I think it very much cultivated uh, the ascent of Trump. And a lot of us didn't realize it. Like, I certainly didn't realize it myself in 2015 or 2016, that already our political correctness, quote-unquote, was uh, alienating enough people that it actually made him possible. And then I, it wasn't until I started wondering why people would actually vote for that that I started realizing, like, oh, I've been in a bubble. Like, it mm-hmm. really, like, this really bothers them. So I'm wondering if you feel that the left's uh, propensity to make people walk away contributes to the energy on the right. Yeah, 100%, because that's the narrative of everyone that walks away. They realize that even they couldn't hold up to the standards that they were trying to hold up to everyone else. It was like right, a full-time right. job of them going in every room and making sure I got to detect if there's something racial going on or sexist right. or misogynist. And they realized that they fail every day. But then with that failure every day, they try to, you know, override that by pointing out other people's flaws and canceling this person and doing this yeah. and shouting people down because they know deep down they're not holding up their end of that script, so to speak. Right. That's a really interesting take. Like, uh, and I agree with what you're saying. I also, like, I'm not saying this thought is contrary to what you just said, but what I tend to focus on, and it really scares me, is that they are in a bubble so much of the time. And I, I do find that's part of why I admire what you do so much in terms of uh, seeking dialogue with all people on all sides, because I feel like when it comes to zealots on the far left, uh, it is so hard to talk to them. Like, I... I find a lot of the time, like, the conversation just goes nowhere because the ideology will eat you. Like like you said, like, white people, you know, white silence is violence, but if you open your mouth, you're going to get in trouble. So eventually you're going to end up in one of those cul-de-sacs. I, I would agree with that, but I would just say 
Because, I mean, I still have a lot of friends that, I wouldn't call extremists, but they're definitely liberal progressives. And we have conversations, and I just know how to go about the conversation. I think sometimes people go about the conversation on how they want it to go, but sometimes you just have to meet someone where they are. If you already know Mm. that they're going to utilize these phrases that you're this, you're that, like if you say one wrong word, then just refrain from using those words. Even if you've ever used those words as phrases or say it in this way, reframe it and refashion it and really come in with with still manning their position. So you, so they see that you really want to listen and understand. You're not trying to bait them and mm-hmm. change their point. Right, right. Because then, in terms of on the baiting side of things, it can turn into trolling if you're pursuing the conversation in a way that's sort of like playing against their sensitivities. Yes. Um, so it's delicate, yeah. And I, I understand that. I want to ask you about Chappelle also because I saw you had a, uh, a roundtable about it, and I, I at this moment i'm deactivated from facebook like i'm on and off of facebook where i when i'm on i'll talk to anyone but i have a private instagram where i talk to just people i actually know in real life and a lot of them are queer and i'm kind of queer adjacent and uh and i am not about to openly air my thoughts about Chappelle, even in that private little space with my actual friends who love me because it's so delicate and uh, mm-hmm. uh but yes i want to find out what happened because i didn't watch your round table yet i want to find out what that discussion brought about and i also want to hear your thoughts about his reaction to what's going on and how he handles it uh, with his comedy. So the round table was basically Twitter. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was really good. I, I think I expressed this to them, or maybe I expressed this to one of them afterwards, but, like, I always come prepared with, like, a huge script on what I want to say or, like, how I feel like the dialogue maybe should go or could go. And I kind of just threw it away because everyone – had their questions and the conversation was really going in a direction that I felt it needed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was very passionate. There was people on there that lauded the closer and Dave, and there's people on there that actually did like Dave until they saw the closer or until okay. six and stones, maybe they stopped engaging with it. But overall, I think that it was a reflection of how society is really reacting to these polarizing topics. So I thought it was really mm. good. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You're the first person I've heard say that, and that was something I thought, too. Like, it was so funny you said your roundtable was like a, like a micro-Twitter, because I felt like uh, Chappelle was, like, encapsulating the culture war. Like, he was, like, sort of emulating, like, a Twitter. Like, it's like, this is the mess we're in, and he's up there embodying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's meta in that way. Um, and there were definitely things, like, I'm Jewish, I... I did not like his Jewish jokes, but that doesn't mean I think nobody should be able to watch it. And also, I also laughed at that. Like, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really annoying. But what are you going to do? I mean, he's a clown. So, yeah. Um, uh, it, uh, what, what was interesting, too, going back, because I'm, uh, I'm so uh, interested in the topic of radicalization, I also felt watching him up there, I was witnessing somebody who had been radicalized. Like, his basic message was, I'm not going to love, love you or respect you or engage with you in the way I'm told to because it's authoritarianism, but I can love you in this way, but I'm a flawed human, so what are you going to do? So, um... I, yeah, I, I, for me, I, one, I love Dave Chappelle, and mm-hmm. I have been a fan of his, hardcore fan, I'd say for 10 years, okay. but I've been watching him, like, half my life, but I think that it took time for me to really understand his comedy, and maybe just because of it took time, like, mature-wise, and me just having more experiences and things like that. But I really find his comedy great. It's funny, but it makes me think. It makes me really think. Yeah. And, yeah, I watched The Closer, and I expressed this on Twitter. I didn't laugh at every single joke. I never laugh at every single joke that Dave says in a special. There was one joke. Actually, there was a few jokes where I was like, come on, Dave. No shaking my head. But overall, I know there's a point there's a reason to the madness and he always ties it up with a with a message and he did it well there um but i think that the misconception of dave and and i expressed this to the panel yesterday i said i think one on a fundamental level people see dave's comedy just differently one people some people see it just surface level one dimensional what he's saying is just actually what he thinks but if you're someone that's a fan, you know it's three-dimensional, and it's so much more in this. It's not surface level. It's not face value. 
And so I saw the closer as him actually um, being someone that's inclusive to the trans community. And I, and I right. expressed this with some of my trans friends that said they didn't like the closer. And I said, he makes fun of every single person. He makes fun of his own community, black people. I mean, he talks about how we're flawed in ways. Um, and he did, he's done this for decades. And he's what, and him going after you is actually um, showing that he doesn't patronize you. He doesn't infantilize you. He doesn't think you're fragile. If he stays right. away from you, I feel like that's transphobic. I think right, right. So, I, I very well said, and I also something that's interesting is a lot of people that are quote unquote woke, and I'm using that. I'm, I'm not using that term for its original uh, inaugural definition. I just mean like you know uh, Twitter wokeness. Um, they're so like you said, one dimensional. There's a literal read on things. So something I thought of, I was like, I wonder if they were shown this and he was dressed as a clown, like if that would help them along, like or if there was a flashing sign behind him that said comedy. Because it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, there's a cultural function of a clown within society, and it's meant to be irreverent, and it's meant to slay sacred cows. So the position he's in being one of the greatest comedians who's ever lived is he's like, there's a sacred cow. How am I supposed to keep my hands off it? Like, that's utterly not what I'm supposed to do. So, Yeah, I don't know. I think it just comes down to taste. And we had the conversation of, you know, should comedy have restrictions? How much responsibility does a comedian have you know should he dress up as a clown and really and i i just say comedy should have no lines but you can have a line you can decide what you participate in and who you like um but i always know when i watch dave i'm i might get offended i mean this i'm right right. he's done jokes about christians and i'm like dang you know that's that's you know off or yeah say something that's true that's just kind of like hits a little so right right oh and i should make clear on that with the clown thing i just mean like as a metaphor like i wonder if it would make sense to them if they saw it that way like if there was an ongoing ongoing reminder of that's the function he's serving yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um what i'm curious about okay so i I really like your podcast i'm just curious i want to hear you talk about it in in the framing of a of a mission like like what are you looking to achieve going forward like what is the journey and the exploration in terms of critical thought and in terms of uh, what you're seeking in these conversations? Well, it's funny because um, it's evolved into what it is now, but at first it was just me, you know, discussing certain issues, topics, and culture and society, and me doing action videos and me just doing commentary videos. And then I started doing interviews with people because I am a journalist, that's my background, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do more, like, interviews. And then I realized, like, these conversations were really helpful for other people. Um, and then I started doing roundtables. And that's something that I feel like I'm going to focus more on because I'm, I mean, not to, I'm not at all tooting my own horn because there's people also doing this. But I'm really not afraid to have conversations about anything. I, I'm, I'm not afraid to platform like the conversation with, with Dave and having different perspectives, like people are like, oh, you're so brave for that. I'm like, I don't even see it as bravery. I see it as necessary. I mean, it's happening anyway. So why not facilitate something where it, it can be hopefully fruitful and less divisive? Not to say it won't be have tension because they always do, but they usually always walk away. I wouldn't say friends, but some have, but definitely understanding that other person's point of view more. So then that actually carries out into their real life. Do you find that you take a lot of criticism for having, for, uh, for engaging yeah. in these encounters? Okay. So people co- come after you on social media and so forth. Oh, like, well, I would say more so like, um, like I don't have people like trolling me on Twitter necessarily, okay. but like just, it's always people, and you could say it's for anyone, but if people think you think a certain way and then you do a panel that might have other opinions or you do a video that might express something. Like if someone found me through one Jordan Peterson video and then I have okay. another video where I talk about like five things, writing advice that I learned from Thomas Coates, and they're like, you like that, Marks? It's like, oh, right. one, you've... You, it's just people just choose, you know, how they see you and think that's how you always have to be. And I do make people 
mad on both sides because to people it's a binary you have to choose and I have made it explicit I don't care and I'm not choosing and that's just how it is yeah binary is such is such a uh, useful word it's so interesting how uh we're, we're directed to reject binary thinking in certain contexts but in other contexts it's blindly embraced like yeah mm-hmm. but tell me about critical thinking like that, that was the big reason when I first invited you I was like um, I, I just want to hear uh, your thoughts on, like, what constitutes critical thinking, what the accoutrement of it are, like, like how does one think critically, can it be taught, all that fun stuff. Yeah, with critical thinking, so when I went to grad school at NYU, my major, my master's was focused in cultural reporting and criticism, so essentially critical thinking in a sense, and that is what gradually got me to really interrogate my own mind and how I would digest information. And I realized by the tail end of getting my master's degree, I realized, okay, you've been vetting a lot of what you believe just through your feelings, through like something that's not logical. Like, and sometimes I found myself believing something so wholeheartedly but when asked to express it it was very hard and I'm like I why is that and I realized it was just you know a malfunction of not having enough critical thinking on a certain subject or thing or person to express why I believe what I believe so Mm -hmm. critical thinking is something that I'm very um passionate about because I realized that because I've been able to apply that more forcefully with myself it has made me see of how I've been wrong. It made me see how I was wrong with Coleman and all these other things, which why I wrote the Free Black Thought piece. And it made me see all these things, which is why I relaunched American Shade in a different way, why I do have these conversations with other people, one, because there's no harm in listening to someone. And I find that proponent, being a proponent for critical thinking and Having that be the number one goal for American Shade is just to get people to think and make sure, like, mm. think and logically make sense of it and go through a vetting process and that thinking requires you to wait as well. Mm-hmm. You can't be really reactionary with it. If you do that, that can actually be a deterrent for someone to be an extremist or someone to think a thing right. or join a group and they don't even know why. If you first critically think about the moves that you make, the things you believe, um, the ideas you intake, and make sure, does this actually make sense? Then maybe you won't do those things that people are doing right now on Twitter. Right. Are you you a fan of The Godfather by any chance? I'm not going to say I'm not a fan because I've never seen that movie. Uh, Okay, yeah, because there's two, like, The Father is Vito, right? That's Marlon Brando. He's very, as you said, he's very patient. And he's very, very thoughtful and considerate and reasonable. And he's got different sons, but his most temperamental son is, is uh, Sonny. And Sonny just always reacts and is always just going with gut feelings. And there's so much wisdom in, like, you need... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. It to be a little more like Vito. Like, it's just pays. You'll, you'll survive better. You'll have more allies. Like, your life will be happier. If you just like, and I think what you said about just being patient and taking the time to consider is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's why, and sometimes people... And this is specifically with the Jordan Peterson and Tony Hossie Coates um, debacle thing. People okay. are like, when are you going to make a video? When are you going to make a video? And I mean, every mm. on my LinkedIn page, I mean, everything. <laughs> and I was like, I have not, I'm processing it. Like, these are two men I admire, and I'm not just going right. to what- so it goes viral. Like, no. Right, right, right. One of them you know personally and you have, yeah. you have a relationship with, so yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's touchy, yeah. Um and it's all it's also Peterson always like blows me away with how open he is. Like he said when the uh comic book came, he was shocked. I was like, it's so funny how most people in their public life would try and manicure the message a bit and say, Well, you know but he was like, No, I was shocked at the Paul for like two days. I was so devastated. So it's uh it's just amazing. I just feel that there's a lot of uh disconnects and people are in different echo chambers and it's great that somebody is doing content like yours to sort of bring those walls walls down yeah i try my best critical thinking is the number one thing i i push i do not push narratives i do not even push my own ideas there's times where people like everything you say is right i'm like no you gotta make sure that i i'm not trying to say everything i'm saying is right i'm just offering up um something and it's up to you to do the work and to decide what you believe but i never want someone to take me as a bible and just follow my lead no well okay, I totally understand. any one thing critically or is there just uh is there just certain people that are going to hit a wall with that and they're going to revert to ideology or do you believe that critical thought to some extent or another can come about in any mind 100 percent. i think okay. anyone can do it um but i will say it is uncomfortable and i will say my experience i cried a lot because i realized a lot of the things i believed i didn't have any foundation on why i believed it and i realized okay um you were really going along with this thing for years and you knew you kind of were like wobbly Mm -hmm. on it but because you had built in scripts or narratives around you that was really mainstream that helped you just fill in the gaps when someone would say, oh, explain this, and you would just fill it with this, you know, verbiage or whatever. Right. So I would say, I would say 100% anyone can do it, but you have okay. to choose. Right. Right. Uh, I'm, still, I'm, I'm stumbling trying to form this question because I want to ask you, how do you get 
somebody to choose, but that's a terrible question because that's authoritarian. Like you said, like you're not here to like lead people to the promised land. But I'm just, uh, I think, let me, let me hear your opinion on this. I think in order to think critically, in order to think that that's something that's desirable, you have to think it's cool, whatever cool means to you, right? Like growing up, me and my friends were real into philosophizing and smoking weed, and then we thought we were so smart. And to us, it was cool, right? So I always felt it's cool to think critically, and to me, it's attractive. And I have definitely absolutely gotten pinned by ideology and stuff as well and, like, gone against my own values and had to rethink it for sure. But I'm curious, do you think that that is part of the sort of algorithm? Like, somebody's not going to think critically until they think there's some sort of, like, upstanding or cool aspect to doing so. I might have to disagree with you, Eric. No, please, go, please actually, go ahead. No, I, don't. I don't know if you're wrong, but okay. the, this, I think the phrase cool because okay. – What's going on right now with everyone trying to be, you know, the best, you know, and this is not, this is not patronizing, but I'm just using this because this is what happened. Like the best okay. anti-racist or the best this right. or that. Like, it's cool. It's oh, I know. Yeah, see, I'm in a world it, of my own. It's dope. Right. It, it's to awesome. Me, it's, you can right, put it on to Instagram. Me uh, to me, it sucks. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so it, that's yeah. the cool thing to do. That's the hip thing. You're down. You understand. Like, you're in. Right. But right. I would say with what I do is I don't say you better critically think or else. Right. No, I, I – what – all you can do is – and it's cliche to say, but be the change that you want to see. So I literally show right. people it through my content, but I make sure that I show it in a way where – not to say that it's easy, but it's accessible. Like, I don't mm. try to make it seem like – this is a very, like, haughty, you know, thing. Oh, genre, right. And right. you can't do right. it. And, and use all these big words and, yeah. and be a scholarly. Like, I will utilize, like, a, 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 like Dave Chappelle or something that is very mainstream that people like. And mm. I will critique in a way, and I will be really critical on it and objective. And people will be like, okay, cool. Like, I didn't see it that way or or someone would be like, wow, I would have said it, but I wouldn't have said it out loud. But, like, you, you're giving me confidence to kind of just express mm. my own ideas. Not giving, me, not giving them confidence to express my idea through their mouth, but, but giving them the confidence to just express what they think and believe. Because there's so many people that are like, I don't believe hardly anything. Like, not believe. I don't agree with much right. of what you say. Right. Or or with a lot of what you say or some people are like oh, there's some things I don't disagree with, but they're like, I respect the fact that you do not have this channel for people that only will believe what you say. Like you right. invite all of everyone in. And yeah. So as long as people I feel as long as they are critically thinking for themselves, that is the goal. So, right, yeah. right. Well said. Um, have you lost any friends doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? That's so funny. Have I lost any friends? Um, let me think. No. Oh, that's good. That's good, yeah. Because that would well, be the fear, right? Because it's like you were saying with coolness. No, actually, it's not true. Yeah. I, I would say, like, like my, my good, good friends that's known me forever, or even friends mm. at NYU or whatever, like, no. I have had conversations with friends that I might have lost, so to speak. Right. But when they, when we have our conversations and our debates, um, they 100% are like, okay, I told, like, you can explain every single thing, anything they throw at me, I can explain and defend. And right. it's not nothing they've heard. I'm not, so it's not like I'm reiterating something for someone. I'm, right. This is what I've come up with. And it, and then they have also applied it kind of to what they think, and they're like, you know what, this thing you told me to look at, and now I'm kind of like, all right, I'll re I'll reconsider this, or I'll think about this. Um, but losing my good good friends that knows me, and mm. that our friendship is based on more than race and politics, and mm. no, right? Because I'm I've been pretty, you know. I've, I, even though I've done other things that's mainstream, I'm, you know, I, I am an outlier in other ways, and my friends are not, and no. But they're, like not, friends they're that, not scandalizing what happened to her. No, okay. no. I'm curious, also, so, so this thing, 
this appetite to uh, be a journalist, be a critical thinker, be open, listen, have conversations, be receptive. This had to have come from somewhere in your background, in your familiar background. I'm wondering if you attribute attributed to any part of your upbringing and what that might be. Um, I think honestly, the just give you the brass tacks. I think like the genesis of it, to be real. Mm. Writing first started very young because oh. I was a very well. I am so introverted, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. But um, very, I would say more shy when I was younger, and I would mm-hmm. express myself through writing, and then that just started to become a passion, and then that's how I became a writer and stuff. But like the curiosity, and I think the work I do now, and I guess the reason why I show empathy before I show, um, you know, harsh criticism on someone. Mm-hmm. Like I try to see their human, like their humanity first before I'm like, I, I disagree next. I'm like, yeah. no, I need to know why they believe that though, actually. Right. If they have that much passion, I got to know. I got to get to the bottom of that. Mm. But I think it's because, um, and I've expressed this, so I don't really care to say it, but I, I was, um, and an alcoholic for seven years. Okay. So I think that was the foundation of it because I felt like a lot of my humanity was stripped or that I was just an alcoholic and that was it. Like she's, there's no story to her. Like she's just, you know, disregarded or whatever. And mm-hmm. there was more to me. There was more, there was a story of why I drank. There was a story of why I was numbing myself with the substance. Like there was so much to the story. And I think when I realized how much patience God had with me, how God saw my humanity, how um, just that grace and that forgiveness. I, I apply that with people. I apply that with my moral stance in life. So there's been tons of times where someone will stumble across my YouTube channel and they might see one video and they're like, huh, you know, she's saying different things. I kind of agree with her. I don't. And there's one video I did on about Capitol Hill and I, completely was like this was treason this was this this is that and i guess someone that actually followed me that liked me who said i disagree with you and i knew we didn't align everything but i think you're mischaracterizing you know, trump supporters here i'm like i'm not you know doing that but we ended up having a three-day conversation about the misunderstandings about why he's frustrated why he wears his red hat why he's called racist or why and then i talked about well you know with how uh the fact that you feel this way um, about a hat and people like targeting you. And then I'm like, don't you see maybe how, you know, a black person could feel that way being targeted by their skin, something they can't take off. And he actually understood more. He not to say he was like, I'm going to vote for Biden. No, that didn't happen. But I, I would have never had that conversation ever, ever. But the fact that I'm like, he's human. And if I am a Christian, and I say that, you know, I show yourself kind and, you know, love your neighbor. I can't choose and pick who those neighbors are. I was going to ask you if you have, like, an edge point or a button. Like, if there's some form of thinking that could possibly give you pause. Like, for me, for example, when I heard Amazon deleted or stopped carrying a bunch of Holocaust denial books, I was kind of like, well, you know what? I'm really against censorship. But I can't really say that that bothers me. So, you know, like, so I'm wondering if, there, if there's a thing like that for you where it's like, okay, this is what it might take, not to offend you, but to maybe give you pause. So, like, what's my lines with censorship or freedom of speech? Um, yeah, you can put it that way. Or more, uh, just on a more interpersonal level, like, what would somebody on, uh, who was a guest on your show have to say or what topic would they have to go near to maybe start bringing a wall up? Oh, I mean, oh, God. It's hard to say because it's like, do you just talk with them and challenge them through it and ask them the questions and hold them up to the fire? Or do you end it all and because you just can't take it? But I would just have to go with what I would probably, what I think I might do, like if in the moment, um, if someone was coming on and start talking about perhaps, like, you know, like pedophilia or something. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, my that. God. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Like, that thing like, crossed my mind. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, sexual abuse. Like, that stuff just, 
I, I can't see myself sitting through a conversation. And, and that's the thing. That's to say, like, maybe someone else can do it. But I, I don't see it unless I'm prepared and unless I'm like, okay, this is going to be so difficult. But I'm going to challenge this person beyond. Right. That is right. something, like, that I don't think needs to be flying. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Well said. I'm like others might might be like no all like all is fair and freedom of speech and whatever, but I I do have lines. Yeah, I do. Luckily, I'm glad that's never happened. But I do have lines. I, I'm sure I do. I know I do. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because Al's a uh, true crime writer, so there's a <laughs> lot of re- a lot of research into serial killers and and all kinds of de- depraved uh, human behavior and uh. A couple of his guests that he's had on have been the authors of other true crime books that have sat face to face with people on death row, and and it's it gets really grisly. Like I can't uh, consume too much of that material. But uh, um, mm-hmm. Al, do you have a limit? Like, is there anybody you you wouldn't you would never speak to? Um, you know, not that I know of, but I'm sure there are. Yeah, um, I, I avoid confrontation for the most part. So I think what what you guys do is quite brave because, um, you know, I look at it as if, if someone, like when you talk about how people can have um, critical thinking, um, I think it's I think it's something that a lot of people can't do. I, mm-hmm. I, and I mean that in the mm-hmm. sense of probably the way they've been raised or perhaps it's laziness. I, I, I'm not sure because... Um, it's really it's really frustrating. So I, I find that um, I'd rather not get into a confrontation with people. I try to avoid it. Mm. I agree with that. I, I, it's not to say that everyone um, will do it. I think everyone can do it, but you have to choose to do it, and I don't think a lot of people will because mm. they get really comfortable in, like you said, their upbringing or they get comfortable and where they are, or they feel even that like they might be exiled or shunned from the groups that they're in. Like, people have real fear about breaking away and being um, independent thinkers, so to speak. So, you know, people don't want to break away from their tribe. And yeah, also, alone, so. yeah, yeah. They're incentivized as part of that. Social media incentivizes conformity because you'll get likes if you say the popular thing. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, then, then the, you know, but the whole social media thing is really kind of its own world. It's 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 not even a real world. Yeah. Um, so isn't it? That's what Dave said. Yeah. It's it's sort of taking away from who we are as real people. It's it's creating a a second person. It's creating two personalities with one human. And and it's really tough because you don't know which one's real or which part of that personality is real unless you know them in person, which is not often the um, the truth of it. Most of the time, uh, most of the people you know online, you know online. And so um, I don't yeah, know. It's like it's That's, like humanity, I, the video game. Yeah, yeah, I just wrote a piece about this. Um, it's called "It's a Medium," um, and it was actually published by Digital Diplomacy. But um, it's called Why Millennials Are Unhappy, mm-hmm. and or This is Why Millennials Are Unhappy, and I focus on social media, and I actually say what Alan said about there's a duality of our presence now. We live in reality, like the real world, but then we have a social online persona, which people actually pour more into that than their actual life. Right. Like, if you go home, they don't live in this lavish luxury, you know, mansion or even have the cars or whatever, but they're always traveling and they're always going to these amazing places and taking pictures of it. So you think they do. It's more about making people think you have a great life than actually having one. Making, right. make, making people think you're thriving than actually thriving. And so, yeah, I think hmm. social media plays a huge part in it really is something that's paralyzing people from not breaking away from their so-called tribes because not only will you get shunned, but you can get 
bashed online. Yeah, you can yeah. get attacked online. So there's so many elements to it. Hmm. Yeah, it's like putting you in the, on the TV. I mean, in a sense, because you, you watch commercials and you watch television programs, and everyone seems beautiful. Like everyone's got the right clothes and the right hair, and everyone's doing the right thing. And mm. so social media puts us in that place. Yep. Uh, you know what I mean? So now we are a part of that. We've become that whole new image we've created, and so we feel good about ourselves. We feel equal to the ones we do see on TV. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you, know, you know, I'm just a... I'm just a Canadian. What do I know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm wondering with overcoming alcoholism, is aligning to truth, like just the authenticity? I I, I don't know much about what goes into that, overcoming that form of addiction, but I can only imagine that, you know, a reclamation of some form of your own authenticity is a big part of it. Is that accurate? Yeah, I... What goes into it? I mean, I think one. I think one element for everyone is hitting rock bottom. But people find different ways and methods to get themselves out of it. For me, I did AA. I did, you know, well, I was, I was kind of forced to do rehab, and I didn't do it because I was, you know, over eighteen. But anyway, that's not story. But for me, it was it was God. And I know a lot of people are like, no, what really was it? For me, I, I know people are like, oh, that sounds very, like, Jesus freak, whatever. I'm like, I don't care. Like, that's what it really was. It was my faith. And also just really, and this is one reason why I really like Jordan. And I actually, you know, discovered his work way after I was, you know, sober. But mm-hmm. him with his clean your room and, like, take accountability yeah. for yourself. I mean, I mm-hmm. did that in 2000, I think it was... 14 when I stopped drinking and I really looked at myself. I'm like, I'm a mess. I'm going to die in like Mm -hmm. a year. Like I am not, I am pathetic. Like I had to say the things out loud and not let the alcohol trick me out of, no, this is just what, you know, people in their twenties do. I was like, no, this is not how I want to like end up. This is Mm -hmm. getting bad. And so, yeah, I more or less was, you know, interrogating myself then and, seeing the truth of what I was, which was nothing really much at all. And once I accepted the truth, then I could do the work. And now my life completely changed. So, and more or less, that's kind of like a, a micro example of what I'm trying to do with people. Like just take a little piece of that with you and just realizing your own truth, where you are, where you stand Maybe when you see that person, you know, that you disagree with, you will um, see the truth that, okay, they're just a person like me. And I, and if I believe this much about the thing and I think I'm this right, then if, if they have that same feeling, then who is right? Like, then let's have a dialogue. Let's have a conversation about it. Um, and let's just understand why each other believes what we believe. Instead of just completely putting people under, you know, archetypes like woke or putting people under like mm-hmm. just conservative and that's all they are. People are mm-hmm. way more than those things. And so I think that's a huge problem right now. Yeah. Is people are just fighting words and they're not even seeing people. Yeah. 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 And uh, I do think social media was a big precondition for, for that. It sort of polluted our psyches and there's sort of that's part of why I think podcasts have become so popular and tandem to um social because it's uh it's like a more intimate interface when you where you can actually hear people's human voices as opposed to as opposed to the superficial version. Mm-hmm. And this <laughs> actually came up in a last um uh video I did. I I did a commentary video on I don't know if you heard about it, I'm pretty sure you have, but those students that were kicked out of that um, at Arizona State University, the multicultural center, um, there's these white students that were kicked out because they were white. And I guess that's, yeah, that was the situation. And then there was the yeah. situation in Williamsburg where a woman told a man to like stay out of her hood or go back to her hood. And the man was black. And, um, you know, I, I approached these, these situations at looking at each person at their perspective of the situation and like, I guess with empathy tied to it all. 
And a lot of people watched that video and said that, you know, I, I really was against those girls who shouted down those guys. And I was like, oh, they're this, they're racist and all that. But hearing the backstory of the fact that that girl's dad was someone that grew up in Ghana and he, you know, fled racial, real racial terrorism that was happening, like, in his young years. And he told his daughter this, and now she feels like this is the work she wants to do. And now I said, so, of course, wouldn't you think this would fuel her to just any injustice she sees, she has to, like, combat it. And I'm not saying that she was right, but I'm just saying just understanding someone's background right? before you judge them or before you cancel them, before they're this or that can help everyone in the situation. Are you, this is my last question, are you hopeful for the future? Do you think things will cool out and we can rehumanize? Do you you think we're so addicted to our devices and our our video game of humanity that it's not looking so good? Um, We're doomed. No, I'm kidding. Um, I would say I'm optimistic, but I'm, like, cynical. So, like, I'm cynical optimistic. I'm optimistic, but the cynical side sobers it to reality and yeah. it's not going to be perfect I don't I'm not striving for utopia or anything but I will say the feedback that I get makes me believe that okay things can change and then other things that I see in the world in in America specifically I'm like things can change and also I mean just I can't deny the history I come from of the impossible the fact that I'm even here and I can do the things I say, and I say this in the free black thought piece, and I'm really plugging that piece, so read okay, it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I put in there, like, you know, whether it's Thomas Sowell or Tanasi Coates or Coleman Hughes or James Baldwin or all these different polarizing people, the fact is this, 400 years ago, they all would have been dead. Yeah. you couldn't read, you couldn't write. It was criminal. And the fact that we can do that now that all of us are offering up something from our own point of view needs to be taken into consideration. So just my past lets me know that we can progress, that we can change. So I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have hope. But I'm not looking for perfection at all, ever. I love it. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and, you know, and we're going to cancel you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad for this to be the place. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Well, how do you, do you have um, a place you want people to come find you, or if they want to interact with you, where, what do you suggest? Well, you can find my a platform on YouTube, American Shade with Brittany King. Also, that's on Spotify as well. And if you want to see most of my social media handles is on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is at King Talissa, T-A-L-I-S-S-A. And you can find my work there, too, where I write. Well, perfect. We'll have that up on our website as well. So thank you very much. Um, our guest has been the one and only Brittany King. And uh, co-host today was Eric Shapiro. Thank you for being here. Thank Thanks you so on. much. Thank you. Get the latest news and opinions from Eric Shapiro from the House of Mystery website in the Shapiro Report. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Wave Media. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, all shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.